Let's go to Luke 14. We still have time for some word. Always got time for the word. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said to them. This was Jesus' youth conference. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, now that, if left to itself, is a confusing verse. If we could just dismiss right now, you can go home and you've got biblical reason to hate your parents. I think, though, we're all of us aware that uh, there's something fishy going on here. Right? Why would Jesus say you need to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brethren, your sisters, yea, and your own life also? Well, I think one of the keys begins with that phrase, your own life also. We need to see things as they really are. If it comes a choice between serving God's plan for your life or my idea of my plan for my life, which should I choose? I should choose God's plan for my life. The, the emphasis here that Jesus is bringing out using the word hate and love is one of preference. If it comes to the place where your parents are, are against the move of God, against the reality of Jesus and the cross, well, I'm sure the Mirabellas has, have faced it more than once in, in a Muslim country. You choose Jesus, you lose your family. It's not prevalent in America. It's, it is in some pockets. Uh, in fact, my wife had a really good friend she met at Rama, and he had been from a, uh, a very traditional cultural family. And when he got saved, his, his father took the, his picture off the wall. They weren't allowed to say his name in his presence. And he was taken out of the will. No, they were not Muslims. But it was just a cultural heritage. And Jeff had to choose, do I love Jesus or do I love my father? All right. So you need to see it in that context as one of preference to to truth. We're living in an age and a generation where your Preference to truth is going to determine just about everything of who you are. We're surrounded by lies. We're surrounded by an openness or a freedom culture that really is nothing more than moral insanity. Because the reality is sin kills. And Jesus saves. And My preference is for Jesus in all things. But now also notice what he said, because this is the theme of our week. 
Without this understanding of love and hate, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes claims, absolute claims. Jesus doesn't want, I'm going I'm to just be flat out. There's nowhere do we find Jesus looking for Christians. He wants disciples. More than 300 times in the New Testament, we have the word disciple. Three times we have the word Christian. That's a big imbalance for us to put Christian as the main word we use in our vocabulary. Why, why did we drop disciple and use the word Christian? Now, now, don't get me wrong. Christian's a good word. It just simply means to be like Christ. It literally means you're a little Christ. good example was when I started preaching and I was 16. Any of you 16? I started preaching every, every, almost every Sunday. I was your age. And, and I, the way I did it was I was a copycat. I would listen to a Kenneth Copeland sermon like 15 times, and then I would just stand up and push play. <laughs> and he would come out with, with a different mouth, you know. I, could, I still think I can preach some of his stories better than he can, but don't tell him. But one time I had a pastor where I preached for him. He, he took me aside after the sermon, and he sat me down and he said, Son... You're just trying to be a little Kenneth Copeland. See, that's where the word Christian came from. When they, the disciples were called Christians, it was derogatory. It was mocking. It means you're trying to be like a little Jesus. Well, that'd be all right for me to be a little Jesus. But what is it to be a little Jesus? It's to be a disciple. It's to be a disciple. So when he said, you, you, you're trying to be like Kenneth Copeland, I said, no, I would never aim that low. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Amen. So the word disciple means basically it, 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 it comes from the Latin disciplined. And it simply means to be a serious follower. All right. It's not in the sense of being a groupie that it's a fan club. No, it's a disciplined follower. It takes discipline to be a disciple. Say that with me. It takes discipline to be a disciple. Now think back over what you know and remember of the Bible. And let me remind you of some of the greatest things that have happened in the Bible. You had Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and all of the miracles and the power of God on full display, but they still couldn't get into the promised land. It took a disciple. That's who Joshua was. With all of the power, with all of the Holy Spirit, with all of the miracles, they still couldn't get into the promised land Without a disciple. Remember what I taught the other night. You can never overestimate the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We can never overestimate the Holy Spirit. But we can underestimate discipleship. You see, you still need the practical disciplines 
I said, you still need the practical disciplines. I don't care if you pray in 10 hours in tongues every day. You still need practical disciplines in your life. Well, let's even go on. There was a great prophet, Elijah. But the powerful thing is, is that there was a a situation where his ministry was doubled. How was it doubled? How was there twice as many miracles? Discipleship. Discipleship. And Elisha, his disciple, the only thing it tells us about Elisha in his relationship with Elijah is that he helped him wash his hands. It says he poured water on Elijah's hands. Well, if you're going to pour water on his hands, basically it's, it's the role of a servant. It's, it's the fact that he's there. He's with him. And that's the beauty. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, it's very specific. He called them to be with him. There's something about associations with people. You hang around people who have a positive attitude, you'll get a positive attitude. If you hang around people who are depressed and they have a negative attitude and a critical spirit, you will get a negative attitude and you will develop a critical spirit. Those principles come into play in the bigger picture of discipleship when God links you up with someone who wants to invest in your life and pour out. But you need to see in the common affairs of life how the Word of God is applied. You're never going to get that out of a book. Never. See, you can read all you want about how to play the guitar, but sooner or later, you're going to have to spend time with a guitar. You, you, you can read all you want about swimming. And, and you can read every textbook on, on how to have the best breaststroke there is. But eventually someone's going to have to throw you in the water. Amen? That's how my father taught me how to swim. He just threw me in. People are shocked about that. It wasn't that hard. Once I cut my way out of the bag, it was okay. <laughs> such an old joke and everybody still laughs that must be sympathy laughter (laughs) but the principles of learning have have something to do with with not just textbook but experience the closest thing in our and and it's even disappeared for the most part but the, the closest thing in our culture that we have to discipleship is in some trades you still have an apprenticeship Not too many. But an apprenticeship is you're working not just to put a paycheck in your pocket. You're working to learn the trade. And the guy who's giving you the apprenticeship knows that while you work with me and you learn the trade, eventually you're going to go out and start your own business. That's what we call apprenticeship. That's because you're gaining value spending time with someone who's been there before and and understanding that you wouldn't get that from a book. Think about it another way. Flip it around another way. It's great to read biographies of great men and women of God. I recommend that you do so. In, in, In fact, I think many Christians... 
it's, it's to their detriment that they haven't read some of the biographies. They're inspiring. I, I, I remember reading, I probably wouldn't even care about missions, but I, I read a biography of Hudson Taylor. And it just ch- changed my life that I saw how God would challenge someone in missions the way God challenged Hudson Taylor. And he rose up by faith and, and became the great, perhaps the greatest missionary to China. He certainly was the first missionary who took off his English clothes and became one with the culture, which was a, you weren't supposed to do that, but God had him do it and, and thank God for it. But, but there are other biographies. My, one of my favorites is, is uh, Reese Howells, Intercessor. If you've never read it, I recommend you read it. Reese Howells was his name. We, we, we named uh, one of our children after Reese Zachary Reese Armstrong. But you know what happens when you read these great biographies? I remember reading Smith Wigglesworth's uh, biography. You know what happens when you read a biography? There's a cry that comes out in your heart. Oh, I wish I had known him. Anybody besides me felt that way? It's like I read that book. It's like I would have loved to have lived with Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, in reality, maybe I wouldn't have, but I, I like to think that I would have loved. Right? So you, even then, you realize, no, a book isn't the same as a life. A book isn't the same as a life. Now, the problem with that example is all the books that I just mentioned to you, and we could be here all night talking about great Christian biography. The point is, is that those books are of the, the heroes and the giants of the faith. But the reality is, we're not heroes and giants. I remember when I was young, I, I wanted Kenneth Hagin to disciple me. I would have done anything he asked. I would have poured water on his hands. I would have carried his briefcase. My goodness, I would have laid down in the mud puddle to let him walk across so his leather shoes wouldn't get wet. I'd have done anything for Kenneth Hagin if he would disciple me. But Kenneth Hagin was never going to disciple me. Kenneth Hagin didn't know I exist, hardly. I mean, I shook his hand once, you know. No, Kenneth Hagin's not. I don't mean to pop anybody's bubble that's in the room, but Kenneth Copeland's not going to disciple you. All right? See, and the point that we have to see is we've got to humble ourselves to realize, I don't want to be discipled by anybody but Jesus. I've talked a lot about Rex Phillips. He, he's the one who prayed and asked God for a man. And God said, Dale Armstrong. And Rex didn't know that in that same period of time, I had made a consecration to God. I'd gotten saved. I, I'd sold out to God 100%. He didn't know that. And, 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 and I didn't even connect it with the church. I didn't see God in our church. And Rex came because God said, disciple Dale Armstrong. Well, I, I don't mean to take away from Rex because he was an obedient servant of the Lord, like Ananias that came and prayed with Paul. An obedient servant. Of, we all have our part. But the reality is it was God in Rex Phillips that discipled. See, I want to be able to see. You have to learn how to see God in people. When you learn how to see God in people, your five-year-old can teach you something. Amen? And, and so <clears throat> later, I started f- following a guy because I saw he was getting results that I never saw anywhere else. He'd, lay, he'd, put, he'd pray for people and they'd fall down. 
And, and, and nobody else was bothering him. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm going to be quite honest. I know God arranged it, but the, where I grew up in Titusville, there really wasn't anybody else. But God was in him. God is in him still. And, and I've talked about Gene Olin. And, but don't go out of here thinking Gene Olin is, is one of those heroes of the faith because we're not. We're normal, everyday, ordinary believers who are everyday, spectacular, amazing, and wonderful because Jesus lives in us. See, but you get into this ego thing, like, like, like the Karate Kid movie, and we're going to meet Mr. Miyagi, who knows all the cool moves, and before you know it, we're going to be laying all of the Cobra Kai out on the floor unconscious. Right. Nah. We're going to meet someone who, who, who doesn't look like they're famous, maybe doesn't fly jets or have millions of dollars in their pockets, but they got Jesus in their heart and they've hammered out on the anvil of life some truths and principles that, spent, that they spent time learning those lessons, sometimes not easy, sometimes very painfully, and they're willing to share it with me and what God has breathed into them, they'll pass on to me. I want those lessons. So, so as, as you go forward in life, and I've already got you to raise your hands that you'll disciple someone. Don't, don't ever stop being a disciple. Amen. I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I, Andrew Murray said he wanted to die with a book in his hand, and he did. They found him dead in his bed, rereading his favorite book, which was uh, um, about the local church. Uh, he was some 90-some years old, died reading a book. I like that. But I'd also like to be 90 years old, still learning from somebody. Amen? And also, forget the age deal. Probably the most astounding thing <laughs> is that Bob's 10 years older than I am. And somehow he saw through the veil of the flesh. Somehow he saw through the veil of immaturity. Because and, 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 when I met him, I was 20, maybe 19 when I met him. 19. He saw through that and he saw right into the face of God. And through that then, God would flow through me whether I liked it or not. Because he's putting pressure into the spirit. And you say, well, how'd that work? Well, I'll tell you how it worked. Terry, Terry had to put up with it more than once. I used to wait for her to go to sleep at night. Get out of bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and run down to the gas station because he worked all night. Because I wanted to be with Bob. And because he was so hungry, it was like getting close to a vacuum cleaner and it just starts sucking the life out of you. I mean, anytime you get near him, it was let's get into the Word of God. Don't you love that intimate time when you just get into the Word, talk about the Word? You get near Bob and it's like, I'd take tapes down there. I stole most of those from Terry. And I'd go down there. I took this one series on Norval Hayes on how to cast out devils by Norval Hayes. 
And we went down there in the middle of the night. We'd play those. And Bob would turn them up as loud as he could over the loudspeaker of the A-plus mini Mart. At three in the morning, there's Norval saying, I'm telling you, you speak to him and you say, come out, come out. That's how you do it. Now you try it. Come out, come out. And some drunk guy would wander in there looking for pretzels. <laughs> True story. I, you know, Bob would just say, can I help you? Come out, come out. I don't know, maybe that's one reason you didn't sell a whole lot. I don't know. <laughs> see, you've got to see through the person. God chooses someone and puts them in your life. Here's the point, guys. Respect it. Respect it. And always, you've got something to learn. But now, if the Lord... As, as, you, as you go forward, you've got to commit to the fact this was Jesus' method. And that he's given you something. That he's entrusted you with the gospel. Now you need to get it to the next level. And that means there's a man somewhere that I need to disciple. And so I go to praying, Lord, give me a man. That's how I pray because that's what Rex said. He said he was praying, Lord, give me a man. And God said, Dale Armstrong. So I've always prayed, Lord, give me, where's my man? Lord, give me a man. And, and I'd pray and pray and pray. And, and you know, when I met Bob, I knew I got to sow into this guy. The next one was a guy named Bruce Latibue. Bruce was funny because he was just a foul-mouthed fella. My dad and I were fishing. We decided to take some time off. And I'm going to tell you this because this is how you find disciples. You just find them in the ways of life. Jesus was just walking by. And he saw this guy and said, come follow me. See, Dad and I, were, we decided we had a, f a week. So we're going to get into Blue Suburban. He, he always bought Blue Suburbans. All my life, I thought all Suburbans were blue. <laughs> and we get into Blue Suburban. And we're going to drive 13 hours into northern Ontario. And we're going to go fishing and catch fish. And when we were serious about this, we, we went up. We would usually take about a pound of rice and about 10 pounds of bacon and some pancake mix so you could batter the fish. And if you don't catch fish, you're, not, you're just not going to eat. And when, 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 you know, it's real motivational. <laughs> It'll make a fisherman out of you. And so we're on our way up to, to Canada, and we drive past this sporting goods store to stop. And so we stopped to buy some red daredevil lures. Any of you fishermen here, that's, that's all you need in Canada. And you'll get yourself, you know, pike and perch and everything off of that. And so we were going to buy some of these daredevil lures because we didn't have enough. And we go in there, and, and uh, there's this guy running this sporting goods store behind the counter. And Dad had met him somewhere once. And we're buying all this stuff, and it's not what you normally buy to fish in that area. And so Bruce looks across and says, where are, you, where are you guys going? And my dad is my dad. And he says, we're going to Canada fishing. You want to come? And Bruce was totaling it all up. And he said, just a minute. And he went in the back room. All of a sudden, he's turning out lights. Comes out. He's got his little day pack. Starts turning out the lights in the main area. 
sticks all the lures in the bag. We never did pay for them. He says, let's go. <laughs> so he goes and climbs in the car, and I'm 13 hours in the car with a foul-mouthed guy that I never met in my life thinking, this is weird. <laughs> That's how I met Bruce Latibue. So we get up there, and, the, and Dad was a photographer. And, and, and we're, you know, you get out on the lake. There's just the three of us. What are we going to talk about? Well, if I, I'm, I'm either talking in tongues or talking about Jesus. Those are the two options. And Bruce is now, you know, third man out. I don't know what he was thinking about this time. We're sitting around the fire eating fish. I'm talking about Jesus. Talking, Dad's talking about Jesus. We're praying. We're saying, you know, we catch a fish. It's glory to God. <laughs> and, and poor Bruce, you know, he's, he's saying other words. So then we see some moose out in a swamp. You ever seen moose in a swamp? That's fun. So we go out into this swamp to get photographs of moose, and, and you get out, and sometimes you step, and we're up, we're up about this high in swamp water and swamp grass taking pictures of moose with these big horns, and, and, and moose is about as far away from here to that door, and, and I'm standing there, and Dad's working around so he can get a better picture. And I'm standing there looking at this moose when Bruce is standing next to me. And the mosquitoes have come in, looks like, you know, in cumulonimbus attack form. <laughs> I mean, they'll just suck you like a prune. And these are Canadian mosquitoes. <laughs> you all from Lancaster have never been bit by a mosquito. Those are like a lower form of life. These things are dangerous. And they come down and, and it's just thick cloud of mosquitoes. They get in your mouth when you breathe. I mean, there's so many flies. And Bruce is like going like this and he just lets out this spew of in, of what? Invectives. That's an interesting word. <laughs> Profanity. And I looked at him. Now, honest Scott, I ain't thinking about being evangelistic. I'm thinking about surviving. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, whatever. Say whatever. whatever. It's not really very evangelistic, is it? <laughs> but he said the Spirit of God hit him. When I said whatever, he felt like an idiot. Standing there swearing. And I just said, Whatever. I never knew that till about six months later. That's, that's what converted him. He just saw himself. You know, that's really all, all, all you need. Don't be afraid of being yourself. Because Jesus lives inside you. And so, sure, over the period of time, you know, we had prayer together. And he, he, he got his life right with God. And uh, we just spent time together. Right? And you don't need a curriculum. You, you need to invest your time in someone, and, you'll, and the curriculum will come up because you'll see what they need. Now, there are some guidelines. I would say one of the first things when you meet someone and, and the Lord's told you you need to disciple this person, the first thing you need to do is you need to be honest with them about the relationship. Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me and I'll make you into fishers of men. You need to be bold and just tell them, look, let's spend time together and this is what we'll do and this is what will happen. 
Because you also need to know when it's over. Because at some point, it's always over. And it needs to be over. Because there is a principle, they've even identified it in Harvard Business, that you can overlearn from someone. And if you're learning how to run a machine, and someone trains you on how to run that machine, you can overlearn it, and you begin to learn their mistakes. And you begin to think their mistakes are the way that you should do it. We don't want to disciple people into our mistakes. So there's always an end to a discipleship. You still always have a relationship. And maybe from time to time, Bob learns something from me. But, but, but those transitions and phases of life are good. Because number one, they free you up to have more relationships. Yeah. Right? Aren't you ladies glad you're not pregnant forever? There's an end in sight. Aren't you glad that eventually that baby doesn't need to be changed? Amen. Don't you? Hey, how how many of you remember when they learned to tie their own shoes? Oh, my gosh. That's like victory. Hallelujah. Freedom. How many of you see what I'm saying? There's phases and stages of life where you come into freedom. Because why? Because you have discipled them. So you need to be very open and honest about that and, 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 and lay that out as a ground rule. Second, you need to be very open yourself that, that uh, disciples follow. You don't follow disciples. I, I didn't do this real well early on the first, I don't know, five, even ten years until someone really explained it to me. Uh, uh, I, I was sort of like a fire truck you know as soon as there's a problem the alarm goes off and i run to the fire do you know a lot of fires will just burn out if you ignore them it's really good word for pastors if the devil can keep you putting out fires you'll never do what god wants you to do all the devil has to do is just keep creating fires some things you just yeah it's like brother Hagin's one time said to his elders you know, you guys are arguing here at the board meeting. Why don't you just go out in the parking lot and have a fist fight? When you're done, come on back in and repent, and I'll pray for you. <laughs> just get it over. Quit lying about it. You want to hit each other. Just go out there and get it over with. And, and, and of course, I know they probably didn't. But uh, no, you don't need to chase after disciples. Disciples need to make a commitment. Rex never came to, to me. He came the first time, but after that, I always went to Rex. I always went to Rex. See, a disciple wants to learn. He's going to be disciplined. And here, here's, here's how you begin to measure whether they really want to learn or not. Jesus said, don't throw your pearls in front of swine. Now, I'm not calling your disciple a pig, but uh, he, Jesus did. <laughs> if, if they want the truth, then they'll, then they'll be the ones that come. Amen. And how, how much you respect the person discipling you will really determine. I mean, you could probably put it on a board like geometry. It's really going to determine what you get out of it. Because I, I've, I've served people and been around people and I, and, and, and I want to learn from them. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing every word they say and how they respond to everything that's said to them. You know, I, I've spent time with... Uh, a couple different people. If I if they'd have let me, I, I I'd have sat by their bed to figure out how they sleep. I mean, I want to know how do you do this, and if you have that respect, 
maybe I'm getting on the flip side of all this, you know, but we want to be learners. You're not going to be a very good discipler and teach people if you yourself are not a learner. You know, I remember watching Kenneth Hagin praying for the sick. I went to prayer school and healing school every day through the summer of 1983. And he, his pulpit, usually the crowd was less than this. It was two o'clock every day. It was probably half this. And his pulpit was here, and I sat where she was sitting. Every day at 2 o'clock, I was in that seat. Brother Hagin was just that far away, and then he'd pray for the sick. And when Brother Hagin said, let's get on our knees and pray, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't pray. I, don't, I probably didn't pray more than three words that whole summer because I was listening to how he prayed. I, 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 my prayers aren't worth a whole lot at that point. I want to know how did he pray. I was listening to how he prayed to God. I heard how he prayed to God. And when he'd pray for the sick, I'm watching how he prays. Does he lay one hand on him? Maybe that's the secret. Does he put two hands on him? Maybe that's the secret. Does he stick his finger in their ear when he, you know, what, what is he doing when he's praying for them? I know I'm exaggerating, but not much. Because then when a demon would manifest and he'd give a command of faith, that's what, how I'm going to do it when I encounter that same situation. It's, it's your respect for what you're seeing and the life that you're sharing that's important. And if, and if you're discipling someone and they don't have that respect, and I have to emphasize this because we're from Lancaster and we're from Pennsylvania and we're Americans from Protestant churches and we're just really way too nice. There's, you know, it's probably, Sharon and I were talking about that. That's why God put Bob into our life because he's got so much mercy, you know, and I ain't got none. So Bob and I balance each other out. That's not true. But um, don't spend a year investing in someone that doesn't show the respect for what you're giving to them. You're wasting your time. Don't do it. There's someone else who's hungry. I, I, I just think that needs to be emphasized. Second, you just live with them. And I don't mean that literally. I mean, you go through life with them. You're going to go somewhere, invite them. You're going to go to a conference, take them with you. You're going to go out and, and uh, remove a stump, go ask them, come remove a stump with you. That's when you, you know, you're going to have a conversation. Somebody else has got a problem, you've got to go fix a roof. Hey, call them up, take them out with you, and you go fix a roof. And while you're banging nails into the roof, you're talking about Jesus. You're living life and they get to see how you respond in circumstances, that's discipleship. You say, well, is there a curriculum? No, there's not a curriculum, but it'll come up because they ought to ask questions. I know I told this one time, similar message, and, and, and I, I said, listen, if you're going to drive somebody to the airport, you get a chance to drive Pastor Sidney to the airport. You got him for two hours in a car by yourself, and you don't know what to talk about? You ought to have a list. You ought to have a yellow legal pad with a list of questions. So I, I, I preach that. I'm, what's that? Intelligent questions, yeah. You know, not questions like, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> what's that? Yeah, what'd you have for breakfast? Now, come on. 
And uh, I, I've been blessed after preaching that. People have picked me up, you know, take me to the airport. And, and, and I sit down in the passenger seat and they say, hey, pastor, I got a bottle of water for you. Oh, thank you. And then they say, and I got these questions. <laughs> I say, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's your curriculum. And you'll begin to see <clears throat> that the diet that they need and, and the diet that they need is, is a combination of what the Spirit of God is speaking through them that you'll hear through their conversation and what you, what you don't hear them talking about. But it will begin with their commitment to lordship. Because you can't go anywhere with a disciple beyond what I've just said. Because Jesus didn't say, this is what a disciple is. He said, you can't be my disciple without this. So it's universal. And as you read down here in, in Luke 14, you'll find out that the whole framework is in 33. Verse 33, Luke 14. Whoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what's that mean? That means Jesus is the absolute Lord of your life. We have a problem in American religion. People even say, well, Jesus is, he's saved, but Jesus isn't his Lord. Doesn't make sense. Thank God you've never heard of it. Because if you're born again, Jesus is your Lord. And that absolute claim of lordship is, is the one thing, and there was only one thing, that Jesus said, without this, you can't be my disciple. So you've got to examine that. Are you committed to Jesus as the Lord of your life? And what does that mean? And are you willing to forsake all to follow him so that when he gives you a command, are you going to move to Titusville? Yeah. Are you going to take your family to Iraq? You know, are you going to support those orphans in the Philippines? You, you've got to be willing to forsake all to pursue what God tells you to do. That's the one litmus test of a disciple. From that point on, disciples may have other problems or other areas where they need to be taught. They might not know about the Holy Spirit. They may not know how to have a daily quiet time. Are they reading their Bible every day? Do, do they memorize scripture? Do they even know how to use the center column reference? Do they know how, how, how to, well, anymore, touch the, the numbers on the screen to look at the Greek? You teach them what you live with. For me, I mean, I used to be accused that when you ask, don't ask Dale a question, he'll stick a book in your mouth. Well, I like to do that. Here, read this and we'll talk about it. Because, uh, number one, I know you're going to go to work. And if you're not willing to do the work, don't bog, don't bug me. And then half, your, half of the questions will be answered in the book. The other half we'll talk about. Amen. Alan will remember he had to come into my office and, and defend Christ the healer. It's a big book, isn't it, Alan? We had fun, didn't we? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> thanks for the support. Anyhow, 
You can, you can do things like that that you see your disciple needs this. A lot of times, you know, I've got certain books I go to. You'll find the same. For me, I, I, I minister with people and disciple them. Eventually, I'll say, here, read, you've got to read Charles Capps, The Tongue, A Creative Force. Because learning how to control your tongue will shape your life. And if you, if you don't learn how to put the Word of God in your mouth, probably you're not going to see a whole lot of progress. All right? You'll adapt that yourself. Sometimes you'll see, uh, I remember one example. I need a few more minutes. I, I, I remember one example where I had a guy I started to disciple. He used to come into the store. Uh, I had a photography shop. Terry and I owned this photography shop where we would develop film. And this one guy would come in, and, and uh, he just bugged me, but I kept my mouth shut. Some customers bug you, but they're bringing in their film, you know, and paying their bills. You just keep your mouth shut. And he'd come in and say some of the dumbest things, and, 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 and he was going to a denominational church, and he'd come in and say stuff about suffering and God doing this to him and God doing that to him. And, and I just kind of tolerated it for about six months. And finally he came in. He was a good customer getting film processed and stuff. And he came in and he spouted off something of unbelief. I just had had enough. I figured the money ain't worth it. I can't, I can't endure it any longer. So I did what we call, I, I just blew both barrels. And I just, I just let him have it. And I preached to him for about 10 minutes, and, and, and his, his eyeballs went around like little balls in one of those pinball machines. And when I was done, he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, so now I'm stuck with him. See, because remember the first rule up in Canada? You catch the fish, you clean him. <laughs> and so John, he was a painter. And uh, John started hanging around, and I started discipling him and being with him and going for coffee and going for breakfast and making sure he had a Bible. Does he read in his Bible? What are you learning from your Bible? What's God speaking to you? And then, he, and then he, I'd give him some cassette tapes, and he'd listen to them because he was driving. Then he came to me, and he said, I want to study the devil and demons. Well, he's only like three months old in the Lord, and I'm thinking, no, you don't. See, that's not what we need to be talking about. And, he's, and, and, and then he went away for a while. He came back a couple of days later. He says, you know, it just keeps coming up again. I, need, I want to study about the devil and demons. You got any tapes on the devil and demons? And when he said it the second time, I, I asked the Lord, Lord, is he ready for this? Why does he want that? Well, I learned a long time ago that many times... You've got a spiritual appetite. You know, sometimes your physical body, you need a certain vitamin. Your body will crave the food that has that vitamin. And, and I believe in a spiritual appetite. So I asked the Lord, I said, should I give him those tapes? And the Lord said, I felt a green light. So I actually gave him them same tapes I was referring to with Bob. Norval Hayes, How to Cast Out Devils by Faith. Yeah, that was the whole title. I think there were 12 tapes. I wish we had those. You have those? I don't know. So anyhow, I gave him those tapes, and I'm thinking, all right. So I went to praying for him, too. And uh, he's listening to these tapes on how to cast out devils. And he tells me offhanded. He says, hey, pastor, he says, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to be around some night. He says, I got a date. I said, you got a date? Yeah, he was single. 
I said, you got a date, John? He says, yeah, I got a date. I said, well, that's good, you know. So he said, I'm, I'm going on that date this Friday night. I said, you know, have a good time. Terry remembers this. So then he, he goes on this date, and here it is about 2 in the morning. And he comes knocking on the door. I mean, I mean, he's, he's just shaking that door. And I come outside, and it's raining. He's out there. He says, he says Pastor, we got to cast out a devil. I'm like, what? My date. <laughs> he, he brings his date in, sets her on the couch, and she's like, well, here he put her in his car, and they were driving to wherever they were going, and they, I think they saw a movie or something, and he started talking about Jesus, and when he started talking about Jesus, she started speaking in another voice and hissing at him like a cat. I don't know if that's ever happened to you on a date. That's not supposed to happen on a date. So, <laughs> it is a red flag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he bring, he, he's literally taking her somewhere and he does a 180 and he's saying, we're going to pastor's house. So he brings her from Erie, which is an hour away, all the way down to pastor's house, gets up there. It's past midnight, brings her in there. And uh, I said, well, let's pray. I said, in the name of Jesus. Terry and I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this before. When you said the name of Jesus, she just fell over asleep. She'd be sitting there talking. I'd say, Jesus. (laughs) And he's just the devil. And uh, so... We cast the devil out of her, and she got set free and delivered, got born again, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, he's right there watching. He's reading, studying, listening. He's right there watching. Oh, I don't know, 30-some years have gone by, and almost every time I see John, he's telling me about some devil he's cast out. See, you get the substance of the word. But, but seeing someone else minister gives you a pattern and gives you a confidence to step out. Amen? All right, I, I've got to now share and shift gears just a little bit and give you an example and then minister to you because God gave me an assignment tonight. I was... Uh, Terry and I had started a church in a city called Meadville, Pennsylvania, and we were meeting in the basement banquet room of a hotel called the David Mead Inn. And they rented out this room, and we'd had a little, little sound system, and it was probably about as big as half of, of this. And while I was preaching one time, there was a commotion in the back, but I just kept preaching, and our ushers or whatever dealt with it, and the there would be people of security from the hotel was involved. And then there was policemen out in the hallway outside where I'm preaching. Well, I went out later saying, what's going on? And I, one, of, one of my guys, the usher, and then the manager of the hotel and the policemen are there. Here a guy escaped from the mental insane asylum. Made a straight beeline to the David Mead Inn. Went up to the teller. And said, and this is what I don't understand where he got his clothes. He said, is there a church 
in the basement that, that is supposedly preaching the gospel. And the girl behind the counter, she just works there, you know. She says, oh, oh yeah, I'm with the FBI. And we're investigating this group. Yeah, this, this is the truth. We're investigating this group is a dangerous cult came right from the insane asylum and pretended to be an FBI officer and came to our church. How'd he know we were in that basement? And, 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 and finally they figured it out. I'm hoping because of his clothes. I can't imagine FBI agents are that poorly dressed. And they took him back to the insane asylum. I mean, they had him locked up. So I, I never had that happen before. That was the first. So I went to the Lord about it, and I just thought, well, the devil must be afraid we got a church in town. I better go down there and cast the thing out of him. So I went down to visit him. And, I mean, we're talking a lockup place. It was pretty fun because they, they unlocked the one door to let me in. As soon as you walk in and they lock that door behind you, that's weird. And as soon as I'm in there, all the sound, it was quiet as soon as you step in. And then all of a sudden, there's all this talking and all these people wandering out into the, the, their doorway. And they got him locked up in this room. And so I sit down with him, cast the devil out of him. Well, just enough is enough to say his name was Jeff. And, uh, and I ministered to Jeff. And you know what? I liked him. He just followed the devil. So cast the devil out. Led him to Jesus and uh, went back, told the testimony to the one Bible study. And uh, was it Barb? Yeah. One of the ladies talk, took to it, had some experience with hospitals and whatnot. And Barb said, well, you think I could go visit him and maybe we could bring him out. And, and so we started bringing, she started going and signing him out and bringing him to the Bible study. And uh, he started coming in and, and in and out, coming to the Bible study. And eventually, they let him out and got him out into assisted housing. Well, that's a, amen, cast the devil out of him. Now he's out in society, right? And uh, then we had a, a landmark. We had a landmark at uh, Cross Creek Resort. And I had a guest speaker in by the name of Barry Taylor. Barry Taylor was a... a, a a Bible chaplain for a Bible school for Norval Hayes. And Barry Taylor is known all over the world for casting out devils. And Barry was ministering, and there was a prayer line. And it was a pretty long prayer line, probably from wall to wall. And, and he didn't expect there to be that many people, I suppose. So he said, Dale, I'll start on this end. You start on that end. Right? So, so he's praying for the people over here, and I'm praying over here. Well, about five people in on that line, <clears throat> Jeff had, had come up. He came into the oracle. I don't know what he came up for. Never got that far. Because when he came up and I laid hands on him, see, the anointing of God, and you have to, you can't teach this from a book. This is what I'm trying to say. You've got to learn and be discipled to move in the spirit. And don't be afraid of that. But it'll develop confidence. So when I laid hands on Jeff, he leaned forward and grabbed me, stuck his arms around me and hugged me close and started kissing my ear. 
yeah. <laughs> and then he started saying things into my ear that you ought not say. Gross things. Well, that lasted about 1.4 seconds. And I had an usher or catcher, who was also the usher, thank God, had just come back from basic training and was free for a week and was a, a, a U.S. Marine. Hurrah! And he was about as big as Jake. Not as handsome, but about as big as Jake. <laughs> and uh, so I said to him, get him into the back room. So he grabbed Jeff and picked him up under one arm and <laughs> went back in that back room. So I went back into the back room and there's Jeff is laying on the floor crying and weeping. And I walked in and uh, the, the Marine is standing there at attention, you know. He said, I think, I think the devil's gone. You cast it out. I think he's free. And I looked at him in my spirit. I knew. I said, he's not free. And when I said that, Jeff looked up at me and snarled. And from a crouching position, jumped at me like a lion. I mean, through the air. And when he came at me, I screamed in the name of Jesus. And you'd have thought I shot him with a gun. And he fell on the ground. Right. Boom. And I looked around and my Marine was gone. He got so scared, he ran away and never did come back. So, so Jeff, you know, we, we got Jeff out of there, and, and uh, I'd cast that devil out. And, 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 and Jeff came into my office the very next day. And he sat down. He was so ashamed. He knew what he said. He said, Pastor, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why I said those things. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be demon-possessed. I'm not a homosexual. I've never had a homosexual desire in my life. Why? He was more emotionally ripped up. I mean, you don't just go grabbing a guy and start kissing him like that. And he, he, he's completely broken. And I'm looking at the devil and a young man, and his compassion came on me. And this is where discipleship, I think, enters in. Because if you read all this stuff in a book, you can lose that part. And you can learn all the rules and all the things to say. This is a human being who's been subjected to evil forces. And he's want, wanting freedom. And he's weeping. What do I do? What have I done wrong? I'm, I'm not a homosexual. I've never had a desire for a man. Why, why did I say those things? What's going on in me? And my spirit went out to the Lord. And I said to the Lord, help me help him. You ever, you know, you ever have a radio where you don't got good reception, so you put the antenna up? Learn to do that in your spirit. Just pray in the Holy Ghost a little bit on the inside. Just quiet yourself just a little bit. God wants to help him more than you. Amen. So you, you get to a place of receiving. You put your antenna up in the spirit. 
And the Spirit of God came on me, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Never saw it before. And, I, and Jeff is going on and on. He says, I'm not a homosexual. I've never had that desire. I said, Jeff, I said, I never, never asked you this before. You have a problem with masturbation? He got all quiet. I said, Jeff, you have a problem with pornography? He starts to weep. He says, yes. And then the Spirit of God said this through me. Jeff, when you masturbate, what sex is the body you're making love to? Conviction hit him. See, he's masturbating. He's having sex with a man. It's quiet in here. I know there's young people in here. But you old people need to realize they hear worse than this on the school bus. I got to the root of it. That's what put him in that mental health clinic. That's what locked him up in those rooms. Because sin always gives the devil authority in his rebellion over the blessings of God. And so he repented of the sin of pornography and all of that that was involved. And he was... Broken before the Lord. He almost vomited. He was so disgusted with himself. It wasn't spiritual. It was conviction. And he got set free. He got set free. The Spirit of God woke me up this morning and said, Don't let the spirit of pornography in this church. So I, I just didn't even know how to minister tonight. I was just going to emphasize that but it's not necessary to be the whole sermon it's just one part of the principles of freedom in Jesus if you don't want to forsake all and follow Jesus well you're not going to get anywhere but if you want to be a disciple you have to forsake all and hate even your own life you hate sin you hate it. Somebody says, well, I don't want to do that. Good. You hate it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These things, and I want to apologize to you young people, because the seasoned people in this room let this culture go to hell in our generation you say I was talking to Terry and Bob and Sharon about it earlier we still want to divide there's, there's media and television and then there's pornography well no there's not because it's just one thing now and our, our society has become morally insane it really has and so I want to be bold tonight and call you, if you want to be a disciple, to forsake all. And it begins in some of these areas that you're confronted with on a daily basis. Job said, I made a covenant with God not to look on a woman. I made a covenant with God not to look on a woman. That's forsaking all. The greatest way... To resist temptation is not to look. Amen? 
How many of you would agree with me that we're not going to let the spirit of pornography in our church or in our lives or in our leadership or in our families? Amen? Let's stand up and we're going to cement that. Now, I'm not going to have an altar call, but I'm going to just be real straight with you. If you've been playing with that sin, repent of it. Doesn't need to go on display. You're not more forgiven if you come to an altar and weep and cry. And coming to an altar isn't going to make you more devoted or more committed. If you can't commit in your seat, you're not going to commit up here. You're just going to show and get into play things, right? But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, anybody want to be a disciple of Jesus? We're going to forsake all. Somebody said, well, well, I've done this so many times, Pastor, and I fall back into it. Well, then you get up. And you resist again. And you ask God to forgive you again. And you get stronger. But if you quit, well, you're not going to go anywhere if you don't, if you quit. There's no reason to quit. Amen? Now, I also want to add this. Jeff had never repented of it. You get all these weird thoughts that the devil will even try to play with you. Well, that, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I have a devil. No, when you repent of that sin, he has no room in your life. All right? None. He forgives you of your sin and he wipes it out. Hello? So, so the Satan, we're not giving Satan any room in our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word tonight. That you said, he that doesn't forsake all cannot be your disciple. And yet this room is full of people. We have determined that we will be your disciple. So, Father, we forsake all. And that includes the lust of the flesh and the, the involvement with pornography, the involvement with, with mental images and daydreams that are not appropriate for a vessel of God and for a child of God. Now, I ask, Lord, and I that you extend your mercy and your love. And we as a body extend that mercy and that love around us to those about us. It's none of our business, but we, we lift them up in Jesus' name to give them the strength to make a decisive stand and to part with sin and to say, no, I reject Sin. I reject lust. I reject sexual immorality. Now you go on and you pray now. Some of you have some things to say between yourself and the Lord. You pray now. And you ask God for the grace to forgive you of your sin. And he will. And he does. Righteous in his sight. Cleansed in his sight. We thank you. We honor you for that now, Lord. No, you're not going to do better. You are free tonight. I'm free tonight. Say it. I am free tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In the midst of a perverse nation... Family, we're, we're in a, a society that is morally insane. 
which should give us great hope for revival. God has to move and hearts will respond. Amen. You love Jesus? Amen. Well, one way we love Jesus is by loving one another. Turn around. We'll let you go tonight. Tomorrow will be our hoopla. Love on one another. Bless one another. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's prepare to receive an offering tonight. We want to give you a chance to sow your seed to meet your need. Amen. We're so blessed with all the that's gone into the conference. It, it would be good to be able to pay for it, too. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, so... Our, our offering tonight will go into the expenses of the conference, and I don't know, we can't, we can't say enough and gratitude, amen, for all the hard work and good food and service. Thank God for the body of Christ, amen. If you need an envelope, we have our ushers, uh, you raise your hand, we'll get you an envelope. Make out the checks, if you're making out a check to Armada, and uh, We'll be blessed to receipt you at the beginning of the year for your giving. Hallelujah. I was thinking this evening of a scripture in Luke 21 where Jesus, in verse 1, he looked up and he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow. So she had no source of Income, her husband had passed away, casting in there two mites or two pennies. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in, and I know we probably are familiar with this, has cast in or has given in the offering more than all of them. More than they all. Well, it doesn't say how much the rich men we're putting in the offering, but we do know it was only two pennies from the widow woman. But those two pennies are, in Jesus' uh, uh, perspective, more than all the others combined. There's a principle here I want to bring out when he goes on to explain it. He says, for all of these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. See, a lot of times, don't get too critical. Because what they did was what the Bible tells you to do. We read it two nights ago. Honor the Lord with your substance and with what? The first fruits of your increase. See, those rich men, they weren't sinning. They were doing what the Bible says. She just kind of went beyond. Right? Well, the Bible doesn't say you have to give everything. But she did. I remember listening when I was a teenager. I cut my teeth on Kenneth Copeland's cassette tapes. And uh, he was taught one time how he was a student at Oral Roberts University. 
and he asked, he asked the professor of the theology class, he said, well, what, what would God do if I gave away everything? And the theology teacher said, well, God doesn't require that of you. And Brother Copeland said, well, yeah, I know, but I just wondered what he'd do. <laughs> See, your determination and your will and your approach is, is, is what's being measured there, isn't it? So this woman went beyond. Uh, so these, the rich men, they cast in of their abundance. That's what we're supposed to do. But she of her poverty cast in all the living that she had. You know, when you're at the end and, you, and, and what you got isn't going to meet the needs, really not a whole lot of sense holding on to it. Amen. And if you're wondering why Bob and Sharon are nodding their head up and down, it's because they've proven it. Amen. I mean, when you're holding on to $30 and the bill's $300, you, you, might, want, you might want God's help. Hello? Amen? And uh, so, so don't be too critical on these rich people that cast out of their abundance. And uh, God puts us in a place of abundance. But never confuse a... a Abundance mentality with a divine supply mentality. Because Jesus said when you give, you're laying things up in heaven. You're tapping into spiritual principles. And that supply of the spirit is constant. Amen. I want to be God's pipeline of blessing. And as long as it's in my pocket, it's not blessing anybody. Amen. So... Out of this, God actually corrected my theology one time because I used to teach a lot over and over and over. I don't even want, I'm embarrassed to count how many times I had preached that your money is your seed. You ever heard that? Your money's your seed. Am I the only one that ever heard that? It's a pretty common phrase that your money is your seed. Well, looking at this, the Lord showed me that my money is not my seed. See, if money is your seed, then the rich men put in more seed than she did. But God said, Jesus said, she gave more than they did. Your money's not your seed, your faith is. I said, your money's not your seed, your faith is. And when you give, whether it's, you know, two pennies or, or $2,000... When you give, there's faith attached to that. Now, it just so happens if you're a rich man and you give $2,000, the, the level of faith required to give that might not be that high. But if you're broke, facing a whole mountain of needs with no husband, no job, no possibilities, no opportunities, and you got two pennies left, you aren't giving two pennies. You're putting your heart in that offering. And the seed that you give, and we can go to Mark 4, but we don't have time, is that word of God planted in your heart that taught that woman, he's going to take care of me. Amen. How many, I, and, it, and Jesus, it doesn't go on to tell me, but I'm, pretty sure, I'm not just pretty sure. I know God took care of that woman. I remember one time I got a, postcard when we had a radio ministry 
I got a postcard with a nickel taped to it. Came from a couple called Eric and Violet. That's how I met Eric and Violet. I met Eric and Violet through a nickel taped to a postcard. Eric and Violet were mentally handicapped. They lived in assisted type living. And they loved Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, that was probably their last nickel. You want, I'm just going to be quite honest. I hope you don't, I hope you don't think I'm guilty or a bad person, but I think I prayed more for them that nickel than I did anything else. Amen. See, there's faith in it. Tonight, I just want to encourage you, don't give rote out of rote, out of routine. Don't give out of because you're supposed to. Don't give out of because you got to pay the food bill. Don't. No, that's not how we operate. We're spiritual people operating spiritual law, walking in faith. We got an opportunity to give. Give your faith. Amen. Let's pray over the offering. Lord, we bless you for the chance to sow seed into the kingdom of God. And we thank you for the, the, the things that are taking place in these lives and these children and these young people, these teenagers and these adults and these older gray-haired people, the seasoned ones and the ones that are over-seasoned. We thank you, Lord. <laughs> We're walking by faith in Jesus' name. Every bill is paid. Every need is met, and we're in abundance of supply. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. The ushers will wait upon the people, and the people will be obedient unto the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen. Hey, we've got a few things we're going to go over before we, we, we uh, start, the, start the teaching. Turn the video on. We've got on the back table there brochures for the Armada Commission. Starts on September 7th, runs through the year. Spirit of God came on me years ago. I'm not even, to be honest, not sure when the Lord gave me the vision and the commission or the plan to start a Bible school. I was traveling a lot at the time when he did. And I, and I just, when the Lord dropped it on me, it's like one more thing. And I'm already doing too much. And I went to the Lord about it. And I uh, said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. And, and the Lord told me to talk to Bill Hake, Pastor Bill Hake. And I went and had a little conversation with Pastor Bill Hake. And the more I talked, the happier he got and, and full of joy and percolated over. And I thought, praise the Lord, I just found my dean. And, and Bill put together curriculum and organization, and we launched out in, a, in, the, in the Armada uh, uh, Commission. And uh, we had some tremendous uh, uh, students. Our first class was three. Is that right? Yeah. And I think our next one was five. Was it five or six? It was seven. Our second class was seven. Eight. We got different fingers up there. I don't know who's counting what. If I count them all, we had like 30 people, but I don't think that's what we had. <laughs> and uh, and then 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 we we put it to pause. We didn't we didn't see the students. I went to Bill about it. I said, "Look, Bill, what do you think?" You know, and he said, "Well, it's still in my heart. It's still burning in me, and uh, those coals will they'll they'll be there until the Lord says start again." And uh, we, there was some thought last year to start it, but uh, no, 
that wasn't right. And then uh, here not long ago, a couple months ago, God hit Pastor Sidney and he came to me. I mean, he was, he was almost trembling. He says, we got to start Armada Commission again. I said, yes, sir. When I saw it in him, I knew it was the Spirit of God came on me. I called Bill and I said, we're starting. Bill said, we have any students? I said, I don't know. What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> I think we already have three or four now that are lined up. But that's not enough. So we've got brochures out there. And what I'd like you to do is uh, if, you, if you think you may have someone whose heart is to enter into full-time ministry, and they believe that that's the call of God upon their life, Take this brochure, pray over it, and get it into their hands. And, uh, and we're going to be blessed to see that move forward. We've got different speakers that will be coming in and others that will be regular. And I'm looking forward to teaching some of those classes. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing the fruit of uh, the harvest. Amen? Uh, Levi was a graduate of the Armada Commission. He's back there bouncing that baby. He ended up on the mission field, found himself a good thing. Amen? I know Aaron Ray's back there, and uh, he, Aaron, unfortunately, was a little bit more disobedient. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I, we took him, and, and uh, Tom's probably here. Is Tom here tonight? Tom's back there. Is Tom back there? They took those two Bible school students to Romania on a missions trip, and I told them, you're not going there find, to find a wife. I said, do you, you focus on Jesus, not taking you there to find a wife? And they both found wives. I'm just praying that we get better students this time. And by the way, Aaron, Ray, and Shawnee, why don't you stand up right now? Amen. Stretch your hands towards them and bless them. This weekend, they've got some guests coming. No, they're not adopting children. No, 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 no. They're not adopting. But they have three guests coming, three orphans from, from Ukraine, who are coming as guests to spend how many months? Five weeks as their guests, so these special three orphan children who are coming as guests, we're going to believe God that the love of God, the mercy of God, the gospel, it's going to penetrate into their hearts. Their ages are to nine, right? And two boys and one girl, and they're all siblings. And uh, we're just so blessed, but we want to be clear, you know, if you get to interact with any of these children, they're not being adopted. We don't want to give them false hope or anything like that. See, we want to make things clear in the children's minds. They're guests for five weeks. It's going to be a great summer camp for them. They'll probably get to see farm animals, except for the deer, because you ate him. Yeah. That's all right. They're from Ukraine. They're used to eating that kind of stuff. Praise the Lord. Amen. What is this look on your face? <laughs> Venison. Come on, come on. All right. God bless you both. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I'm waiting for Sydney to come through the door because now many of you know Sydney took uh, Adrian to the emergency care. He was playing football, I guess, and and it fell on his hand. How many of you know we believe Adrian's hand is well in Jesus' name? But if he doesn't come, we'll move forward with some of the things. And just without him, we'll just pretend he's there. And we can paint him into any pictures or anything, however that might work out. Amen. So we got something to shout about, don't we? Yes. 
Now, I shared a little bit the other night about what Armada is, and, and I didn't finish it on purpose, is when we started out, we, we wanted to stay focused on reality. I, I never intended to create an organization called Armada. It was never in my plans. It was God. And uh, it came out of ministers helping other ministers who had, who had no obligations. And I gave you the example of a brother. His name's Ron Bruce. I had uh, uh, been working in Ukraine, and there was a problem in a church in Mariupol. It had fallen apart. Pastor had gone off the deep end, so to speak. So the church was left without a leader. And they reached out for help. Would we come and help find and install a new pastor? Well, there's thousand thousand people involved in this crisis, and it and it 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 pulls on your heart, doesn't it, Brian? When you when you have relationships with people, and here I was sitting at my desk in Titusville, and I realized I didn't have the money. I didn't have enough money to get on a plane and go, and I didn't have the time. I had too many needs. Well, I had a guest speaker in the church at the time, Ron Bruce. And Ron says, I'll go, Pastor, send me. And I, and I thought, well, that, you know, what a blessing. He'd never been to Ukraine, and it was the early 90s. You've got to understand, the early 90s in Ukraine was gangster time. It was a dangerous time. And uh, Ron, he just volunteered. I said, I don't have the money to send you, Ron. He says, I got money. Well, that touched my heart. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. All right. I said, so I said, I'll send a, I'll send a fax that I'm sending you. And, and uh, they sent a fax back pretty quick that they'd meet him at the airport. You know, I'm going to tell this story. Are we dismissing kids? They're already gone. Okay. I, I wasn't planning on telling this story, but I think, I think it's really going to inspire you. So we, we got this fax back that they would meet him at the, at the airport in Kiev. He'd never been there before. He didn't speak Russian. So he gets on the plane and he flies over. Now, he had some experience in Eastern Europe years before smuggling in Kenneth Hagin books, but he'd never been to Ukraine. And... Uh, in fact, he'd smuggled in Kenneth Hagin books before the wall fell, you know, into Romania, actually. So, so he goes over to Kiev, and he gets in there late, and it's about 10 o'clock at night, and he goes out, and there's nobody there to meet him. There's nobody with a sign. There's nobody, with, you know, nothing. And gradually, people disappear. You know, they get in taxis and buses, and they, people go, and... and uh, uh, he, he's, he's waiting. There's nobody. P pretty soon the, <laughs> pretty soon the uh, uh, airport's empty, except for security and a few people working and some janitors. And even the taxi cabs have gone away. And he's just kind of getting a little bit worried. And he finally goes up to a police officer and he tries to, you know, do a hand signs of a, of a telephone. Sure enough, the policeman takes him to a place to make a phone call. So he calls me. I'm in my office, and uh, I pick up the phone, and there's Ron on a very bad connection. You know, it's, you know, and I'm like, hey, Ron, how you doing? There's nobody here. And I, I broke out in laughter. <laughs> I just started laughing. 
<laughs> and he didn't, I don't think he really liked that. And uh, I didn't know what else to do. I'm, I'm like, there's nobody there. He's like, no, there's nobody here. And I just started laughing. And then the line went dead. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, <laughs> might be the last of scene. I don't know. There's nothing I can do about it. Thank you, Lord. Take care of Ron. So I hung up. So, <laughs> so then he had, oh, no, no, I didn't finish my tell. I did have time. I said, well, nobody came. He said, no, nobody came. I said, well, listen, I got one phone number of a girl that translated for Bruce Latibue and I like three years before. I don't know if she's, she's in, even in Kiev. I don't know. She could be living in some village. I don't know. But I got this number. That's the only number I had. So, so real quick, I gave him that phone number. Then the line went dead. So he's got this number. So he gives it to the policeman. Well, the policeman calls the number. And uh, he jabbers away on the phone in, in, in Russian or Ukrainian or whichever. And, and he gets a big grin on his face. And he hangs up the phone. And he spoke a little bit of English. And he says to Ron, they were expecting your call. And they're sending a car now. And he, he had written down the license plate number of the car. And Ron's like, they were expecting my call? They're sending a car? And oh yeah, and the policeman said, yeah, yeah, they're sending a car. And they're going to take you to a place where they have a meal ready. They've already, they, they're waiting for you. They have a meal ready for you. And, and, and then you'll meet your, your friends at that meal. And Ron's like, okay. So sure enough, a car comes and he matches the, the license plate number with the car. And the guy, the driver doesn't speak English at all. So Ron gets in the car and they drive in silence for about, you know, 40 minutes into the city. And they come up and the driver takes his, his luggage and everything up to the door, knocks on the door. The door opens up and there's an old grandmother. And she doesn't speak any English either, but she jumps out the door and grabs Ron and hugs him. And he could tell she's praising the Lord, so that made him feel a little bit more comfortable. She drags him into the apartment and the driver disappears. And the, the grandmother just takes Ron and takes him into the room where here's a table all set out with all this food. She just sets him down and she's just like this, you know, and running back and forth to the kitchen and... So Ron sits down to, to eat, and through her hand sign language, he kind of figures that they're waiting for somebody else because there's more, more, more plates set out. He's eating. While she's in the kitchen, he looks up, because every Ukrainian home has a little library, a couple books, you know. And he looks up there, and he sees Kenneth Hagin books. And he says, unbelievable, those look like the ones I smuggled, the same same additions and he gets up there and he pulls the book off the shelf now when he smuggled Kenneth Hagin books into Romania he wrote his name in the back of all of them in some contact information and he gets up there and he pulls the brother Hagin's book out and he opens up the back of the book and there's his name he smuggled a brother Hagin book into Romania and it, and it ended up in this grandmother's apartment in Kiev and he's standing there in amazement. And she comes back in and sees it. And she starts pointing at the books and smiling and saying, Slava Bogu. And, and he's all like, there's no way he can tell her that he brought the book that got her saved. 
So then there's a, the door opens and in walks the girl that had been my interpreter some years, three years before. She walks in. Grandma squawks like a chicken, praising the Lord. And the girl looks in and sees Ron and hits her knees on the carpet and begins to cry out to God and repents. And Ron watches Grandma lead this girl back in what ended up being a a rededication prayer. The girl repents and gets right with God. Well, then she's finally, when she's recovered, she gets up because she speaks English and tells him the story. Sometime after working for us as an interpreter, she got snared in sin and went back into the world. And Grandma, who was also saved from the books that Ron smuggled into Romania, Grandma began to pray for her, but it seemed like the more she prayed for this girl, the further she went back into the world in sin and drugs and sex and all kinds of things. And she started telling Grandma, there is no God. And she became an atheist. And there is no God. And Grandma had a vision. And in this vision, the Lord spoke to her and said, I've heard your prayers. I've heard your cries. I'm going to send you an American missionary. Have a driver ready. Have the money so you can send the driver to pick him up at the airport and have a meal ready to feed him. And, and, and uh, so Grandma did all this and told the, the, her, her granddaughter, God is alive and God's spoken to me. And God's sending me a missionary from America. And I'm getting all this ready. And the girl mocked her grandmother and said, there is no God and there is no American missionary. And she came home and there was the American missionary sitting at the table eating the meal that grandma had made for her. And, and, and then she, so she just fell to the ground and, and, and got right with Jesus. Now here's the amazing thing. If I'd have had money to go, I don't even think it would have been me. I think it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> God wanted him there. My need was an opportunity for God to bless him. Amen. And, and all of that's wrapped up in how Armada came to be. And based on that, I began to see that, you know, there's, there's a lot of men of God and women, women of God out there anointed of the Lord, doing what the Lord asked them to do, whether or not they got money in their pocket to do it or whether or not they got you know, something to get out of it. Amen. Isn't it good to, to know that, that uh, Jesus is still the head of the church? No matter what we do, he's still running the show. Amen. And so we, we began to, to minister in different ways and in different places, and the group grew. And as I'd shared before, eventually I began to realize we need a name. And... Uh, Armada comes out of the idea of an apostolic ministry. You see, the word apostle is not an English word. It doesn't even exist in English. It's, it's a, what's called a transliteration. See, the word apostle comes from the Greek apostolos. And the first time it was ever used, it's actually a navy word. The first time apostolos is used, it describes what we would call an admiral. 
And the reason it's uh, in descriptive of an admiral is that he's in command of a fleet of ships, number one, and number two, that he goes with the authority of the king, much like an ambassador. Because, you know, back in those days, they didn't have uh, uh, text messaging, didn't have cell phones, didn't have any of that means of communication. So if you sent somebody out, you had to trust them to read the situation and make the decisions and react according to what they knew the king would do in his place, right? And so they were, as the word literally means, a sent one. But it's primarily a, a Navy word. So that's where I came, you know, when I heard the word armada, and I, don't even, I think that was suggested to me, it made sense because we are an apostolic ministry and we are a fleet of ships. We're not just one ship. And that fleet of ships has a lot of variety. You know, I think people realize Pastor, Pastor Bill's in the Armada, and, and yet he has his own church. He has his own corporation. He has his own checkbook, so to speak, right? And, and yet he's just as much part of Armada as, as I am. Amen? Bob and Sharon, they've got their own corporation. They have their own church. You know, they're not under my legal authority, but I pretty well know if I asked Bob to go climb a light pole, he'd probably go climb it. I don't know how he'd do it, but he'd find a way to do it because we're all, we're all joined in the spirit. Amen. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, from time to time, we, we've got the opportunity. We, we're, we see it grow. Typically, the way we grow is that two existing members invite another member to join. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this because people say, well, I want to join Armada. Well, there, there's a difference. We have different types of members. Uh, uh, Pastor Bob and Bill, for example, we, we're talking about members that are full-time in ministry. People like, like Gene, uh, uh, English, wave Gene. I, I haven't bragged about you enough. I need to brag about you more. Praise the Lord. And uh, because here, here's, here's, a, here's a tremendous example of a man with a call of God on his life, and he was pretty well miserable. But I sat and I watched him make hard line decisions about himself and his future and his family. It's just, I've never, quite honestly, seen anyone else do it since. And he changed the course of his life. Amen. And, and so we, 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 Armada exists for the fivefold ministry. But we also have partners. We, we, you know, members in the church. Uh, uh, the believer's ministry is so valuable. People that pray for us. So someone says, well, how can I be a part of Armada? Well, you can always be a partner to Armada. But the ministry itself is, is, is for those in full-time ministry. And from time to time, you know, two of us will sponsor a third and we'll welcome him into the, the Armada family. And from time to time, like tonight, we, we've had some that have joined and, and uh, have, have made some mistakes, maybe, gone a different way, you know. And then they said, you know, I liked, I liked that. When I won't come back home. Amen? Come up here, Josh, Martha. Come here, sweetheart. We spent some time this morning with Josh and Martha. Turn around and face the family. They just want... They just want everyone to know they're a part of Armada. Amen. Have been for a long time. Josh is a graduate of the Armada Commission. 
And uh, the two of them are raising a beautiful family of three children. By, by way of life and decisions, they ended up in Florida. And uh, the Lord's redeemed a lot of things. And the Bible says he'll redeem all the time, won't he? That's right. And we, we love them. And uh, we're just so glad that uh, God's touched their lives in the last couple months. And uh, what's going on in this week is just frosting on the cake because God dealt with them down there. That's right. Yeah, yeah and brought them here. You want to say anything? Sure. Yeah. How, how much time? <laughs> <laughs> About 60 seconds. Sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, so it's just it's so great to be back here with family. And uh, like Apostle Dale said, uh, we, we all take certain paths in life. And God can turn anything bad into good. Yes. And the biggest thing that we're just being taught, uh, just to be frank with you, is that we all have Jesus in us, right? In John 17, he is in us. But the way that we see him is the way that we'll see ourselves in him. And until we see ourselves in him, the truth of the light of Jesus Christ won't fully manifest in our life. And he can be in you, but once you're in him, that's when the fun starts. And there's people that are called along beside you in life that you're never supposed to part with and worry for a season of life, and you guys are those people. And uh, so we're just excited to be back for the mission, and uh, we're here. Amen. Let's stand up and shout. Hallelujah. Amen. We love you both. Amen, 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 amen. I thought that would turn you on and inspire you. Hallelujah. We're family. We can talk about just about anything, can't we? Amen. And uh, so we'll move right on. I've been waiting for Sid, but what do you call that when you do that? Uh, stretch. Yeah, well, Sid, Sid and, and uh, Adrian are, are uh, where they need to be. Believe it or not, Sidney said, you know, sh- should I stay? I said, <laughs> I said, Adrian is your number one priority right now. Get out of here. Amen. Glory to God. Because the reason Sid wanted to stay is he has a precious relationship that God established. So I'll just step in as grandpa and invite the two of you to come up. Amen. Steve and Jonah. Uh, oh, the kids come too. Come on. Probably a lot, some people might not even know that, but uh, today's their first day as official members of the Armada. Which is awesome. Hey, I like how you dance. Hey, buddy. Uh, so Jay and Sydney, Jay, come on up. And uh, Jay and Sydney are sponsoring Steve, and uh, that membership applies to the whole family. And, and of course, you're one, right? But uh, we're very, very honored. And and uh, the beauty of it, I'll just quote Sydney when he was talking to me, is is that. Uh, Steve had asked, well, what is the Armada or how do I join? And, and Sidney thought for a minute and then he laughed and he says, well, you know, you're already doing and getting everything the Armada is. <laughs> it's relationship. Amen. And so we've, we've, we're honored that you would, would uh, make this commitment to us. We, we've, we feel we're the benefactors. We're the ones being blessed. And uh, we believe in you. We really do. It's been... Uh, 
an amazing thing, and some of you may not know this either, but it means a lot to me because Terry and I raised three preacher's kids. We call them PKs. How many of you know PKs have a hard, hard uh, road to hoe, so to speak, in life? Well, they're both MKs, right? And, and that's a missionary kid. The only thing worse than being a PK is being an MK. <laughs> it's the best crucible. Amen? So what I'm going to do, is, and, and, and Jay, you're, you're here and a part of that. What I'm going to do, I thought, is because Sydney can't be here, I'd just like all the ministers to come up and lay hands, and let's just get a big group hug up here. And uh, amen? Come on, come on. Come on. That's you, Levi. You're a member of Armada. <laughs> all the Armada members. Hmm? Yeah, Karen, all of you. Come on up. We want to mob them. Welcome to the family. Hallelujah. Father, we just bless in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the real spiritual principles at work. That even when they're absent, Lord, that you by your spirit, you'd alert any of us when there's trouble. You'd help us to carry the weight of their burden. Lord, we thank you that the body's at work in that spiritual dimension. We thank you for the power of intercessory prayer. We, th we thank you, Father, for the faith and the confidence. We thank you, even as Paul said, for the supply of the spirit that comes through your prayers. Lord, we hold them up in their mission, in their work, and in their call. And we acknowledge it as a thing of God, as a gift from you. Certainly nothing of our doing, Lord, no more than it is of theirs. It's you, Jesus. Now manifest through them your life, your peace, your joy, your power. And bring everything to pass that you planned before the foundation of the world. Bring all of it to pass. Specifically, Lord, we pray for this complex in the center of, of the uh, tent city. <laughs> Lord, we ask that it be used by you to bless thousands and thousands, and particularly those young people. Lord, that out of their midst would rise up the evangelists that Kurdistan needs, that Iraq needs. Out of their midst would rise up the apostles and the prophets, the pastors and the teachers. Lord, we thank you that you'd raise up your army and your ministers right there and around their feet. We thank you for it. We come against the enemy that would bring war to the north. We come against the enemy that would bring corruption and despair. We thank you it will be a light. It will not, it will not go out. It will not dim. But yet it will grow brighter and brighter in a dark world. We thank you and honor you for that. And Lord, of course, of course, our faith is with theirs. Every bill is paid. Every month, every month, every month, every month, every bill is paid, every bill is paid. We call in vehicles. We call in the vehicles needed, Lord. We thank you, no, not one, but three. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. We thank you for those three vehicles. We ask you that they be paid for. There's not going to be any payments on them, Lord. Paid in full. We thank you, Lord, for help and support in every area. There'll be no lack. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you.
Amen. Woo. Amen. Isn't that just a joy? Yes, yes, you I just want to say that we love you guys so, so much, and we really feel just one in spirit with you guys. Um, just there, there is such a oneness as, as all of you guys are sharing, and even just during the times of fellowship, we just feel like you guys are family, like you guys are like a, you know, like we want to be a part of this fleet of ship, ships, and we feel so honored. Um, for this, so thank you, thank you so much. Pastor, before I forget, I do have that 10,000 membership fee. That you oh, about. look at that! It's Iraqi, Iraqi. Oh, yeah. I need to explain it. I, uh, <laughs> Sydney and I were texting in that. Uh, Last night, and Sid, Sid said, "Yeah, he's ready to go. He's ready to join." I said, "Did he pay his ten thousand uh, dollar application fee?" <laughs> I'll use that as a bookmarker, and that that'll be a great prayer reminder. Amen. Yeah, Amen. You'll be in our prayers, and in all of our prayers. And uh, thank you. And we'll be praying for. Josh and Martha, we'll be praying for one another. That's who we are. Amen. And uh, just so you know, though, with our idea of, of it being Jay and Sid, you know, that, that's when we get you blame those two for anything. They're, they're the ones. <laughs> Amen. So it's, it's a real joy. So much, so many testimonies I've had this week of the body ministering to the body. It, it's it's just beautiful. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And our members are precious, but our partners are just as precious. And, and many of you serve and pray and give and, and believe. It's a lot like what I was, or what Sydney was saying. You know, really they were our, a part of Armada before they are a part of Armada because it's the reality of our relationships. I don't necessarily like specific memberships except for the fact you, you you need to have that order in that organization amen but i will i've been faltering on this next point for about six months but i think this is a fitting time to say some of the first things publicly and, I, and i'm going to ask you to pray about something this is a prayer request and i'd like you to take it seriously i'd like you to pray and ask that god give me wisdom I've been going in and out of the presence of the Lord trying to see where our future lies. And I, I've had stirrings, and, and, and you do, and this, this comes and goes in ministry in many ways. And, and so I, I'm, I want to preface all this with saying I'm trying to determine God's will, what to consecrate to. See, there's a lot of good things you can do in the world. A thousand good things. But you consecrate to the God things. All right? So what I share with you, we may come up in the end and say, well, you know, that's really a good thing, but it's not what God's asking us to do. So that's, that's how I'm trying to pray and arrive at, is this a God thing? I know it's a good thing, but is it a God thing? 
And that is, I see the need and I feel in my heart some whispering of the Holy Spirit that Armada should become a full-fledged missions-sending agency. And what that means is that we search and recruit young people to go onto the mission field. We train them. We help them with their fundraising, teach them how to raise funds. We get them there. And then when they're there, we care for them. We pastor them. And when we need or when they need, we get them home and we reintroduce them into life. I'm not just talking about short-term missions. We're always going to do that. I'm talking about a life call. I'm talking about families uh, like the Mirabellas who've, who've forsaken all and have taken a step that's still so necessary. A lot of people... I've talked to in different circles and things that I've read, there's an idea out there that, that full-time missionaries are not needed. And I, I think it's a horrible demonic lie. God, uh, number one, there's the call. And number two, there's the, the principle of winning a culture, you can't do it part-time. You've got, you've got to recognize the, the parable of the pearl. The man saw the field and he bought the whole field because of one pearl. That's selling out. That's selling out. And that's still needed and God puts it in people's heart. And there's many, many, I, I, I just know this, there's many miserable Christians in America and they're miserable because they never entered the mission field. And uh, I do know that there's also the other side. There's people that will go, but they weren't sent. They just went. <laughs> and, and they cause trouble, really. They're, 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 they shouldn't be there. But we want to make sure that, that the people that do belong there get there no matter what, whether we become that agency or whether we help them find one. Are, are you hearing my heart? This is just a need in the body of Christ. Are we positioned by and, and appointed by God to meet that need? I'm not ready to bow my knee and make that consecration. But I'm praying in that direction. And I'd like you to pray in that direction. Because it's definitely would be the biggest thing we've done. For example, when the Lord said start Armada Commission, I couldn't do it without Bill. There's just, it ain't going to happen. But not just Bill, the many different teachers. I think we had almost a dozen different teachers. So it, it, you can't do it by yourself, can you? Well, there's no way we could do this without an army. It's a, it's a big step. But if God says it, here comes the army. Right? Oh. <laughs> Amen. Something percolating. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. God's good. Mm. Well, I think that's it. Is there anything you'd like to say, sweetheart? Amen. I, uh, I've matured a little bit. You know, 20 years ago, I'd have just said, let's do it. We're doing it. 